Welcome to... <laughs> Already messed up. There's a shenanigan number one. Our job is to help you win. The destination is I will be a disciple who can make disciples. We got to watch people see themselves as world changers. Welcome to the second episode of the Disciples Made podcast. Disciples Made makes disciples that makes disciples that make disciples, and we're here to talk about real stories of that, best practices involved with that, honest dialogue around tough questions when it comes to making disciples, and of course, as we've already started with this morning, a shenanigan. Back in episode one, we shared the five core tenets of the intentional disciple-making environment, or what we call the IDE, and then we spent some time double-clicking into the first of those tenets, that we call outcome-focused. We encourage you to check that out. It's critical because it really feeds into what we're going to be doing today. Today, we're going to be welcoming someone who was impacted by this focus on the outcomes and who is now impacting others. We told you that these want to be real stories. This is a real person. Can't wait for you to meet her. She's outstanding. We're going to have honest dialogue about how this happened. More than that, we want to talk about disciples that have made disciples. And this has happened in Spades. Excited to welcome to the Disciples Made Podcast, episode number two, Mrs. Brianna Weeby. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. So good to have you here. When we first met, I became the group's pastor at Westside Family Church here in Kansas City. Phenomenal church. And you were a team leader, a volunteer team leader for the group's ministry. And uh, you were doing a great job. I'm sure you remember that. You and your husband, Ryan, invited me over to have dinner. I think we had hot dogs with your kids. It was fantastic. And it wasn't long until we started the conversation about hiring you part-time. What was that like? Because you were a volunteer doing it and then becoming a paid staff person. What was that like? Well, at the time, it was pretty fantastic because we weren't living on one income. And you said, hey, would you like to get paid a little bit for what you're doing? And I was like, yes, I would. <laughs> I would love to do that. But it was uh, exciting to be welcomed onto the staff and onto the team. A lot of fun. But then it wasn't too much later. I mean, you were doing such a great job. You're a fantastic leader. Uh, very soon into the process, I invited you. I remember one time we were over at a teammate's you know, house talking about you know, planning and whatnot. And I dropped a bomb on you and I invited you to take over all of life groups for the church. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I think I almost uh, vomited. It was fantastic. <laughs> I had to go take a little breather for a minute. It was just very overwhelming. I just, I guess I didn't see that in myself maybe is kind of what it was, but you said you saw it. And I was like, all right, let's let's roll with that and see what it looks like. But it was quite the ask. Isn't that a huge part of disciple making? Just that I see in you conversation, always looking for the potential God's deposited into people and then inviting them into that and then rolling. I mean, you, you came on staff and you, you accepted that uh, broader responsibility a uh, short time into that. And our friendship and partnership has grown and our friendship continues well after our partnership is less formal but still kingdom. We're co-missionaries in yeah. Jesus' kingdom. I love it. One other thing that Bree did during that time, was she led her own movement of disciple-making within that church and beyond. Now, real quickly, we need to define what a disciple-making movement is. And we use a very simple term. It's when a disciple has created or has, has made two disciples who have gone on and produced their own disciples that made disciples, four generations of disciples on multiple strands. You did that within Westside while working part-time. Anything you want to mention just about that experience? Well, 
it just had to be God. <laughs> I mean, just took the the leading and the movement of the Holy Spirit to be able to do any of that. But you know what it was was just having a a specific plan and knowing what that plan was in order to make things work. I think uh, we tried a lot of plans before you came on staff. You know, when I was volunteering. And uh, even poked around at some things right when you came on staff. But when DM kind of came into play and those thought processes, it was it was just like, bang, it was just like, let's let's go, let's roll and uh, made a difference. You were a huge part of that discovery process. It was a discovery as a team. For sure. Not as Brian. And we did do things that didn't make sense. But Jesus kind of paved a path for us that none of us were expecting. Well, that's kind of yesterday. Let's talk about now. Give us a quick family update. Just kind of tell us, you know, who are the people that you hang with most? What's your first church? And then tell us, what do you do for a job? And then what is your ministry perspective? I'm married to my husband, Ryan, for almost 18 years. Uh, yes, he is. He is a principal of a middle school. So he's crazy. That's what I tell God, God love you middle school people. We also have a daughter who's in middle school, so we are experiencing much middle schoolness around us. Uh, she's going to be an eighth grader. She loves volleyball and theater and is good at the trombone, just all kinds of stuff. But she asks hard questions now. Little Brie. <laughs> These uh, hard questions are what kind of make our brains fry a little bit, but it's good. And then we have a boy, Aaron, and Aaron's going to be in fifth grade. He keeps us on our toes, but man, he's one of the most caring and imaginative young men. You were pregnant with Aaron when I was first interviewing for the job at Westside Family Church. And uh, yeah, you actually interviewed me. That was a, that was a fun shift over time. I remember that you were the hardest one. Yes. Little did you know. Yeah. So, okay. I work part-time at a day program for individuals with special needs and I'm a job coach for them. So I go with them into their places of employment and just help them uh, learn, learn from their mistakes, encourage them when they're doing well, um, help them just do well at their jobs. And I love it. And that is a passion for me. You are uniquely shaped for it. And they're privileged to have you, I'm sure. But you also kind of have another part-time job. I don't know if it's like officially paying or any of that. <laughs> I but do. I do. I serve on the leadership team for KC Underground. The Underground is um, kind of a two-entity uh, organization. It's a, it's a missionary sending agency, but it also has the side of this network of microchurches that are meeting uh, around the Kansas City area. I oversee the ongoing coaching team for the underground. And that is meeting with microchurch leaders, encouraging them, challenging them, sending them out. And then when they come back, we discuss about what God's been doing and kind of go from there. I love it. But uh, my husband and I lead one of those microchurches within the underground. And that is it. <laughs> that is it for us, man. We, we love it. Our ministry is to the community where we live, work and play and, and learn and do all these things. But we lead one of those neighborhood-based microchurches, and that's our passion, is to bring the gospel, bring the good news to that community. And you do it well. Just to let all of our listeners uh, make a connection, uh, Brian Johnson and Rob Wegner are typically on our podcast, particularly when we're talking about concepts, and uh, they are the pastors that provide probably the primary leadership of the Kansas City Underground. So there's a rich relationship here. And Bria, uh, this isn't in our uh, notes here, but uh, I lost you to Rob and Brian, and I uh, I think I actually forecasted that losing. You did. There's a little bit of prophetic uh, word in there. 
we were at a at a conference and you were telling some stories and you said uh here's a here's an example of someone who has really found their their calling and is going after it and it's Bree and you pointed me out and I was in the back of the room and I was like whoa and my eyes got all big and uh you said I wouldn't be surprised if one day I lose Bree to um what's happening in her community and what God's doing and I was like well that's weird why would he say that and then a few years later here we are. There it is. So what's interesting is the ICNU conversation that made you vomit the first time became another ICNU conversation because God was not done developing you. Mm-hmm. So cool. Well, thanks for sharing what you're doing now. That's a family job ministry update. Now, here's where I kind of want to start to dig into this idea of outcome focused. When we first met, you were passionately pursuing spiritual formation on your own. Way prior to Disciples Made, you were clearly growing. But a shift happened when we kind of landed on these two outcomes of character and calling. So let's start with the first one. How did Disciples Made's focus on the outcome of character, which is specifically the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, those measurable fruit, how did the focus on them shape your personal spiritual formation differently than before? I feel like I need to give a little backstory about who I am in order to let you know, you know, how the character has changed uh, over time. The shift that DM and those focuses helped produce in me was the why, why I was doing what I was doing in regards to my relationship with God. So I was and still am quite the pleaser, oftentimes referred to as goody two shoes by some people, but just in the fact that I did the right thing because it was the right thing to do. Why do you read the Bible? Well, that's what you're supposed to do. (laughs) And uh, why do you pray? Well, you should do that. You should also probably memorize scripture. So I'll do that too. And uh, that's, that's why I did it also because, well, it was good for my spiritual resume. I mean, if people ask me questions, well, yeah, I do that. Of course I do that. And I can have this first memorized for you like that. You know, that is why I did things prior to that. And what God taught me through the practices of Disciples Made was that get this, he can actually speak to me through his word. That is what he does. And he can do it every day. He can do it multiple times a day, however many times I open up his His word. And I think it was, I was trying to think back, I think it was Hebrews uh, 4.12. So one day when I was reading through that, and, and I just remember reading, the word of God is active and alive. And I was like, huh? It is? What does that mean? And and just diving into that and trying to figure out what that meant. And it just opened up new doors for me because it wasn't just doing it because I was supposed to do it. It was doing it because I want to hear from the creator of the universe today. And he has something to say to me. So the difference for me in the character came when the fruit of the spirit were actually evident in my life. I think prior to that, it was just more of a knowledge dump. It was just, well, I'm going to read because I'm supposed to read and it looks good if I read and I can tell people that I read, (laughs) but it wasn't taking root and it wasn't having an impact in my life because I was just reading it to read it. So once I got past that knowledge dump and thinking about that, what happened was those closest to me were seeing the fruit and mainly that's Ryan, my husband. He, you know, just started realizing, you know, there were things that were going on. I was actually applying things to my relationship with him my relationship with my kids. And the cool thing is, is that he was going through DM at the same time, some of those experiences. And so I started seeing changes in him. And 
that was where the real shift in character in myself and then in our household and in our family took place. It was huge. It was just huge. Also, there were some ladies, you know, within the group that I was walking through this and they could see changes in me too, but they weren't seeing it day in and day out. So it was really the ones that were closest to me that were seeing that change. And they were holding me accountable along the way. All those ladies. So So when we talk about character, we do really want to to double click into this idea that they are measurable and tangible expressions of transformation. Like you've already said, you know, information can inform, but it's only the spirit that can transform. When you think of the transformation of character, are there any particular of those fruit? We believe it's kind of a cluster of fruit. They're not individual, you know, pieces of fruit, but when it comes to them, more loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, gentle, good or self-controlled, any of those kind of stick out as some significant moves forward for you during that time? Sure. I would say peace is probably one of them because as I started to actually live into the word that God was speaking to me, I wasn't as worried what people thought. I wasn't trying to please people as much. I wasn't trying to be so good because I want people to look at me and think I was good. It was just more peace, being okay with who I am and who God made me and what he thinks about me. And probably self-control too, I would say. And specifically in probably my tongue and the words that came out of my mouth toward my husband and my kids. I think that was a big transformation too. That's probably the one I think that if Ryan were here that he would probably give me a thumbs up on was just the way that I spoke to my husband specifically, but in my kids too changed to be more godly, more like Jesus, I hope. <laughs> well, we're talking about, um, we want to have tough conversations and real conversations, real stories around real transformation. Thank you for sharing that vulnerability. I imagine there's an awful lot of people listening to this podcast that are going, I could probably use a little bit of that transformation. And that's why it's so important to get very specific about what the transformation looks like. And that's why it's so important to focus on the outcomes that you're shooting for. Otherwise, we just get more information. And I'd just like to take a second to pause and and suggest something. If you continue to pursue an information-based disciple-making process, here's what tends to happen. You learn more about the things that you're not becoming. Mm, 100%. And a gap starts to form between who you are and who you know you can be because the pastor said, I could be, or the author of the book said, I could be, or the presenter in the podcast or the presenter and whatnot said, I could be. And what we find is that people tend to have to try to fake it till they make it, which they don't ever make it because they continue to be focused on the information, the content, which we'll get to in another episode. We're we're content flavored, not content focused. And that's the reason. When you actually start to see transformation happen in your soul and your husband sees it and your kid sees it, disciple making becomes a thing of great, great value. Well, let's, let's turn the the corner away from character, which is the first outcome. And let's go to the second outcome, which is calling your personal calling. And the way we talk about this is also measurable. When we talk about calling, we talk about knowing what your top two spiritual gifts are, top two or three, and identifying kind of where's your area of passion. You've shared with us your area of passion already, and I'm sure you're ready to, to move forward and talking more about that. But when we started to focus on the outcome of calling, how did that shape your personal formation differently than before? One thing that it did 
which is kind of a, a funny answer, but it gave me permission not to do things within the church body. Things that I didn't want to do or that I wasn't good at. I knew it wasn't my, my sweet spot, my area, you know. Prior to that, I would just say yes because, well, going back to what we were talking about before, it made me look good. Put it on the resume. I could say yes. And I was just doing all kinds of stuff, but I didn't necessarily enjoy it, which made me think, why am I doing this and am I good at it? I mean, just the why question. It's kind of the whole, I call it the warm body syndrome. You just need people to fill a spot. So, so will you do it? Yes, I'll do it. And for me, it was, yes, I'll do it because I'm sure that will make me look good down the road and people will think I'm awesome. So that warm body syndrome actually, just kind of a side note, in the past, it actually resulted in some interesting dynamics on some teams that I led because we would just need people to fill the spots. And so we'd ask them to fill and they would because they didn't want to say no, which is a whole nother topic. You know, it's okay to say no. And so they would end up on these teams and then they wouldn't enjoy it and there would be no fruit. They would come back to us and they would say, I don't think this is working. <laughs> and so we'd try to talk them through it. But what we realized was that it wasn't their calling. But back to me personally, DM, the focus on calling helped me really to hone in on what I was made for. So, and it was so unique, I found, and it was, I, I could see little twinges of it here and there, you know, in my story. But once I did the GPS, which was actually very significant for me, uh, it really helped me to figure out that mine was, or is, working with people with special needs, and then loving and caring for our community and bringing the gospel there. And so that, I would say, I could have sort of told you some of that maybe before DM and before the GPS, but um, that really helped me to kind of hone in on that. Love it. Bree is referring to the Gift Passion Story Assessment that we created. It's actually a free assessment that you can take right now. You can go to giftpassionstory.com. That will get you to the proper page on the Disciples Made website, and you can take that free assessment. If you're a church leader and you want to use that assessment and actually keep a record of all of your people's gifts and passions, there are kits available that you can purchase that gives you the access to that administrative functionality. We would love, of course, to help you use that, those tools and those materials to really go to the next level in developing personal calling in your church. But the reason we talk about GPS, gifts, passions, and story, gift, passion, and story is because we, going back to that definition of personal calling, if you know your top two gifts and you know your area of passion, you are really fired up to engage in mission. It's really a powerful thing that we discovered. Yeah. Here's what it did for me. I would say that I had taken prior to that lots of different spiritual gifts assessments. So I could probably tell you my top two, three, four, whatever. And they were the same when I took GPS, but it was the other two pieces of GPS that really helped to clarify even further my calling. Talking about my passions was almost new or newer to me because you always talk about spiritual gifts and this is it. So this is where I might be able to plug in. But when I started talking about my passions and then the story piece came in and I started looking back through my story and thinking about, oh, I, I have seen glimpses of that here and there. And this is how God was weaving that through all along. That was when, when those three pieces came together, gift, passion, story, that's when it just seemed to be clear and like the veil was lifted. And I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. now it makes sense. Yeah, I love it. When we talk about story, we invite you to look back into your story to see the clues 
We talk about uh, in our book, Find Your Place, which goes along with the GPS assessment. What's the highlight reel of God's activity in your life that has rendered the observation of these two gifts in your areas of passion? And uh, those serve as clues that kind of point in the next direction. So I've always been in the habit of seeing those in people, which helps me do the ICNU conversations. Of course, you know, we've already talked about having two catalytic conversations with you. And I remember having similar conversations with your husband, Ryan, which were fantastic. So our theology of disciple making is character times calling equals impact. It, you know, right there, the two outcomes that we focus on are right there in it. And the reason we add the equals impact is that that's what we saw. When we started focusing on those two incomes, we saw impact and we saw impact both in the people that we were discipling and through the people, not just in, but through. We've already talked about the impact in you. Let's start to turn the corner and go and talk about how God has made an impact through you. Where do you want to start? Well, I had the privilege of being in the room when this kind of all came about. I remember the room and where we were sitting and you started writing this on a whiteboard and and it just made sense to all of us. We were just going, oh yeah, because in the past it was almost like it was either character or calling. And that's really kind of where we focused on. But when you put them together and you have the multiplication sign in there too, that's huge because I don't know, it just takes both. It just takes both is what it is. And so you can become more and more like Jesus, but if you're not doing anything with it through your calling, well, what does that mean? Or vice versa, you can be serving Jesus all day long, but if you're stagnant in your character, if you have things that you need to be working on that you're not, which we all do, then that service will not have the impact that it's supposed to, if any. It's interesting that you mentioned going back to that first coming out on the whiteboard, because when I first put it on the whiteboard, I had character plus calling plus. equals impact. Yes. And I actually had a guy in a morning men's breakfast who corrected me and said, that's not true. You need to put a times thing in there. And I, of course, I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. And then he got up there and he did some math. And he said, if your character is a four, well, let's be generous. If your character is a six and, uh, but your, but your, um, impact, uh, if your calling is a one, you're still a six out of a hundred. Like if you're rating on a scale of one to 10 and you're, and you give yourself a six for a character, but only a one for calling, you're a six out of a hundred. And he said, but when you actually start to increase your calling, say you go from a, from a one to a three, now you're six times three, your impact score is 18 out of 100. It has a multiplicative effect, and we found that to be very, very true in the lives of people. So big. All right, so let's then start to make a shift away from the th- impact that God has had in you, but let's start talking about the impact through you. You don't work for Disciples Made, but I'm assuming that these outcomes are still of critical importance to you. So how's the focus on character and calling shaped how you currently lead in ministry? Well, yes. The answer is yes. I mean, I still use these, the outcomes, the habits, all of that every day. It's just, uh, it's a habit. I mean, it's just built in, which is the whole thought process behind it. And hearing from God every day is going to change your character. And so it cha- it has changed the way I lead because it's, I'm less focused on me <laughs> and more focused on him. So less focused on how am I going to lead this meeting? What, what is it going to sound like when I say this and when I do this and just more focused on, man, God, you got to change me to become more like you because if you don't, I'm, I'm just nothing. 
So, um, yeah, I definitely still use those every day. It's really changed as far as leadership goes, it's changed the questions that I ask people when I'm asking them questions, changes the way that I hold them accountable because I will ask them that kind of the two key questions, you know, is what's God saying to you and what are you going to do about it? And we still, I, I talk every day, probably every day about, I believe this, therefore I will do this. And these are the, just kind of the hallmarks, you know, of, of disciples made. And so it's just so obedience based that I think is what changed for me. Because before, like I said, it was just knowledge. And so just focusing more on that obedience. Another thing that's uh, huge for me, and I still continue this, and I still recommend people do this all the time, is triads or something of the like. Man, having those people, your people, who when you're trying to hide something from them, they know it. Who when you're having a bad day, they know it. Who when you're having a great day, they know it. I mean, they know you well enough to be able to hold you accountable, ask you the hard questions. And if they ask me, what's God saying to you? And I don't have an answer? Well, that's a problem. <laughs> and they're going to be able to call me on that. And and then if I can tell them what he's saying, but not what I'm going to do about it, also a problem. I mean, where's the where's the application? I love one of the shifts that you mentioned, and I don't I don't want it to go by without us making a, an exclamation point put on it. You talked about how you lead differently because of this, because you don't want people to be dependent upon you. You want them to be dependent upon Jesus. And that's one of the, the, the shifts that doesn't really get talked about so much, but happens uh, and people discover that. Our goal isn't to have you be dependent upon the leader of Disciples Made, of your group or your triad or whatever it is. Our whole intent is to have an experience together that helps you become more self-sufficiently dependent upon the Spirit of God or Jesus through His Spirit. And that's just kind of a a natural occurrence that happens when you help people develop the habits or accomplish these outcomes really does shift people's dependence from kind of their leader to the ultimate leader of all time. And then we kind of become kind of codependent or interdependent is a better word on one another in order to make a difference uh, in our lives and in the kingdom. Well, let's, let's keep moving forward here. Can you share a story or two? of how the focus on character and calling has changed the life of someone that you have discipled. Yeah, for sure. In fact, I've got three. So I'll try to keep it, you know, sort of concise. So the first lady, I really saw changes in her character and in her obedience as we were journeying through these DM experiences together. Mainly, uh, one of the big areas was in tithing. She actually had never heard of that concept didn't didn't understand it and when we talked about it she was like what you want me to what and I said well I don't want you to do that you know I mean this is what God has laid out you know this is the plan and so as she really struggled with that and really worked through that she got to the point where and I mean this took a couple years but she is now tithing 10% off the top and it has brought her so much joy and so much peace and then um, self-control. I mean, she's more self-controlled with her money now and how she manages it and how she spends it. She's faithful to give that 10% every time. She's more peaceful. I mean, more joyful. It was pretty amazing to watch that. That's really interesting because we don't really have a segment in any of our experiences about tithing in particular. We don't talk about it specifically as a habit. We certainly believe it. our, Our family certainly does it. We encourage other folks to do the same, but Even when you don't specifically teach about it, if you get people connected to the Spirit of God from another person, those kind of things happen. Yeah, that was amazing. Another one, another lady that I journeyed with, 
I particularly saw her calling just skyrocket. And so I remember, again, I remember these moments are so significant, sitting in a room with her going through this. We were going through talking about a lot of the spiritual gifts and things like that. We started talking about prophecy. And after that meeting, she came to me and she said, I think I have the gift of prophecy. And I was like, okay, tell me more, you know. So we start journeying through that. And over a period, I mean, we're still in touch. And that was probably eight, nine years ago. We're still in touch. And I'm still watching her develop this gift of prophecy. And as she just goes deeper and deeper into this and the Lord reveals more and more to her, I've been kind of able to have a front seat a little bit to what God's doing and how he's using that gift in her that she never knew she had. Yeah, it was powerful. I was a part of that story as well. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Some amazing, miraculous things followed suit in that one. Absolutely. And then the last story I want to share about how this is changing people's lives is my kids. So this is really fun. About 18 months ago, God raised up a microchurch in our community and our family decided we were all in. But the change for my kids was that they no longer had a youth group to participate in because we were just going all in for this neighborhood thing. It made Ryan and I really examine how we were discipling our own children and if we were discipling our own children and to what extent and so forth. And so now what we've done is we do it like a Bible reading plan together and we read the same passage. All four of us read the same passage each day. And then the kids, we've taught them how to write an I believe in an I will statement. And so they do that every day. And then we have the little plan set up. So it sends an email to us so we can see it. And uh, I can see their responses and it's just beautiful. And sometimes they have questions and sometimes they're way off and sometimes they're right on, you know, and, and they're just journeying through this together and all four of us. And so as we talk through these questions and through the scriptures and we're teaching them, they're teaching us probably more often than we're teaching them. And we hold each other accountable as a family. So this morning, my son was literally like, Dad, I see that you haven't done your Bible reading yet for today. Uh-oh. I know, it was so funny. <laughs> He's like, weren't you downstairs? What were you doing downstairs? I mean, they're holding us accountable because they want to see what we're saying about this scripture. It's beautiful. Friends, did you hear this? Disciples that make disciples of their own children. And then the children help further the disciple making pathway of the parents. It's been amazing. It's been amazing. And I know, Bree, I know your story well, and I know that there are dozens and dozens of stories like that. Thank you for sharing those three. They're powerful. (laughs) I wish we had the time to just continue to talk. I've got two more questions. And this one is uh, probably a little difficult to answer. So feel free to be vague and short if you want. But, you know, Jesus makes this incredible promise in John chapter 10, 10. He said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. And that starts with him saying the thief came to steal and kill and destroy. And we've seen his work. We see it everywhere. But he said that I've come that you might have life and have life to the full. So in what ways, it's kind of harder to see, see this perhaps, but in what ways would your life be less full if it wasn't for the outcome focus aspect of our disciple making efforts? Yeah. Well, I think I would still be just doing everything for the wrong reason. I think that's, that's what it would look like. I would still be reading the Bible and praying and doing all the things and God can work through that, but I would be doing it for the wrong reason so that 
I would just be able to check it off my list so that I would look good, so that I could answer questions when people say, well, what are you reading? Um, I don't know. I, I think I would miss out on the creator of the universe speaking to me every day and directing me, guiding me, challenging me, and prayerfully making me more like him. It wouldn't be as fun. I hear that. That's what Alive to the Full is all about, right? It's meaningful. It's fun. It's joyful. Well, our listeners today want to impact the lives of others with their efforts in making disciples. So what one thing would you tell them is most important to remember when making disciples that we haven't talked about so far? Making disciples is hard. (laughs) It's hard work. Here's what I would say. Slow is the new fast. This cannot be done quickly. It won't be done quickly and it shouldn't. Like it shouldn't happen overnight. If it does, I might be like, whoa, that had to be God or else you're pushing too hard at the wrong, at the wrong angle, at the wrong speed. I mean, making disciples takes time. It takes intentionality. It takes grit. It takes creating margin in your calendar. It takes commitment. It takes perseverance. It takes a whole lot of things that when we hear this list, we look at it and we think, mm, I don't know, because if I say yes to this, it means I'm in for the long haul. I think that if you're in and you're ready to commit to those things and you're ready to, to go with that perseverance, it'll happen. I think about Matthew 13, 33, where it talks about the yeast in the dough. And so if you start with the right ingredients, the yeast will spread quickly throughout the dough. And I feel like DM just kind of gave those ingredients all, all in the right little package for me to be able to move forward in a way that the Holy Spirit just spread spread quickly and, and it was so impactful. For a lot of you listening, that may be the most important thing we've said so far today. There's an awful lot of you that are busy spinning ministry plates. Uh, some have even gone so far as to say, I can't make disciples because of all the ministry that I'm currently doing. I don't know how to add that to my current list of responsibilities particularly if the outcome is going to take so long. But here's our encouragement to you. Don't wait to start now. Don't wait to start now because you're going to have to start now at some point because the only way you're going to get different results than you're currently getting is to do something very different. And what we're talking about here is doing something very different. You're offering to invest in few people instead of a lot at one time. You're offering to invest in a long-term investment. It doesn't have to be forever. Jesus only just invested in his people for about two and a half or three years. Then he went back to the father, but what he did with them during that time was all they needed to carry out a movement that would change the world. Don't wait to start now, but don't start at a hundred miles an hour. Bree, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for sharing your heart. Thank you for sharing what you've learned, how God has used you to make disciples that have made disciples. We hope that you have enjoyed episode number two of the Disciples Made podcast. It is about real stories of people making disciples that make disciples. That happens as we talk about and and live out the best practices that God has shown us. Hope you'll catch us in two weeks as we do episode three with Rob Wegner on Habit Fueled. We hope that what you heard today was an encouragement to you or that it increased your curiosity in making disciples that make disciples. If you'd like to learn more about our experiences or set up a coaching call, you can visit us at disciplesmade.com or email 
podcast at disciplesmade.com. <laughs>